good day and welcome to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. Uh, as the title of the show explains, it's Financial Planning Explained. And what we're going to talk about today is an offshoot of estate planning, but it's actually associated more so with tax planning, tax planning strategies, and just understanding the rules associated with the taxation of trusts. And so uh, I've done episodes where we've done estate planning. I have multiple episodes that we've done in the past, and we never really got into the talk discussion of the taxation of trusts. And that's very important because, again, I've always been a fan of it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And to the extent that we can uh, legally leave the federal and state governments out of your pockets, that's a beautiful thing. And, and that applies to all levels of taxation. But I recently had uh, a situation whereby uh, very lots of complicated, uh, revocable, irrevocable trusts, and then distributed to beneficiaries. Uh, some maintained uh, cost basis, others didn't, and found myself teaching each of the three beneficiaries how this whole thing works. Then I said, hey, this is a great opportunity for me to have this and teach my staff. And then, ding, I'm like, hey, why don't I do this as a, as a TV show? I figured there's no way in the world that I was going to be able to get this done in one episode. So what I'm going to do is go a little slower if that's possible for me. And this is going to be part one of two on the taxation of trusts. So here we go. So what are the two different types of trusts? There's basically revocable and irrevocable. Well, okay, I always like to joke around. What's the difference between revocable and irrevocable? One of them you can revoke and the other one you can't. All right, funny guy. The reality of it is that with a revocable trust, to a great extent, it is um, not much different than a regular investment account owned by someone from the taxation perspective. And the main difference with a trust versus a regular taxable account is that a trust has beneficiaries established, which also means that the trust does not go through probate. And also, it makes the assets within the revocable trust more accessible to the owner of the trust. Whereas the irrevocable trust is, just like I said, irrevocable. So once the assets are placed in the trust, the person who put them in there is called the grantor, and the grantor can no longer control those assets. Now, why do a lot of people use revocable trust? For that very reason, they are revocable. I would hate to take all of my assets and put them into a trust, an irrevocable trust, and not have access to them. That would be silly, okay? Now, there are times when you do that, but for most cases, you're not going to do that. One of the reasons that people will use revocable trusts is it enables them to escape probate, okay? Now, escaping probate does not have any impact on the taxation of the assets in the trust. All it does is it makes the assets within the trust available to the beneficiaries a whole lot quicker 
because it doesn't go through the probate process, which is an administrative process that you go through through the county, but following state rules. And it just so happens that some states are substantially more red tape than other states. And not being a state attorney, I just know from experience and what I hear is a couple states that are pretty brutal for um, probate are Florida and New York. And most estate attorneys in those states will recommend that their clients put their assets in a revocable trust if they want it to get to their beneficiaries quicker. Another example of a use of a revocable trust is a person who may have properties, for instance, if you live in Pennsylvania and you have a, um, a shore property in New Jersey, if you put the New Jersey property into the revocable trust, you avoid New Jersey probate. Okay, and so that is something a lot of people do. I understand that New Jersey can be a little tricky as well. So what that does is that enables the person to be able to put their shore residence and be able to escape the probate process a lot quicker. But again, when it comes to the taxation of revocable trusts, they are treated the exact same way as the taxation of a regular type of an asset, whether it be uh, uh, a regular investment or a property or your home or whatever. The other advantage of escaping probate is probate is a public hearing, if you will. So it becomes public record. And a lot of people don't like their assets to be public record. So by putting it into a trust, a revocable trust, it gives them the ability to have access to those assets during their lifetime but not be public record as to what they actually owned. But an irrevocable trust, as, uh, as noted by the name, means that the person who puts their assets in the trust, they can't touch them, okay? And because they can't touch them, it now creates a different type of taxation. For estate planning, putting assets into an irrevocable trust can help allow for the growth of those assets to be excluded from estate tax in the future. And again, this goes back to estate planning, but the purpose of this episode is to talk more about the taxation of the different types of trusts. So the other thing I also pointed out about trusts, whether they're revocable or irrevocable, is that they are a very, very important estate planning tool, okay? These trusts enable the individual to be able to distribute assets to their beneficiaries and even more multiple generations. For instance, if I wanted to create a trust where my assets go into the trust, I can specify how I want those assets distributed. And it enables me as the grantor to make sure that these assets are distributed the way I want them distributed and for generations to come. So for instance, if I wanted to leave assets for my children, 
I can even make it by putting it into a trust, make it so that if they die, the assets then get to distributed who I want them distributed, whether it be to my natural grandchildren or if they don't have children, I can have it distributed to other siblings. So again, the use of trusts are an incredibly valuable tool for estate planning. So what you'll find with irrevocable trusts, now revocable trust, I'm putting the assets in there while I'm alive. But many times because of the irrevocable nature of irrevocable trusts and my inability to access them, hey, I'd hate to put all my money into a trust and not be able to use it during my lifetime. The, the irrevocable trusts are often not funded until after death. And after death, it may be that my will says, I want the assets to go into this irrevocable trust. Or my will may state, oh, I'm sorry, let me rephrase, my life insurance policies may state that the irrevocable trust is the beneficiary of the proceeds of my life insurance. Or oftentimes, the revocable trust names the irrevocable trust as the beneficiary of the assets. So again, the, the use of revocable versus irrevocable trusts are an important estate planning tool. And again, the most important piece of it is the accessibility of the assets to the grantor, which in this case is me. So back to the taxation. Is the taxation of revocable trusts get taxed to me, okay? So if I established a revocable trust, it's taxed exactly the same as a non-qualified account. Whereas an irrevocable trust depends on whether the assets are to be retained or distributed. We're gonna spend more time on that. So let's come back to the revocable trusts. So the way a revocable trust works is that if I were to say put a million dollars of investments inside the revocable trust. As I noted earlier, what happens is that the revocable trust account creates a 1099, as it does with anything. It's gonna tell me how much I have in dividends, it's gonna tell me how much I have in capital gains, it's gonna tell me how much I have short-term gains, long-term gains, whatever, okay? And then the trust creates a K-1 which now goes to my personal tax return, and my personal tax return basically pays the taxes exactly the same way as if I had capital gains in a regular investment account. So there's no tricks that you play with the, with the how am I gonna invest it and how am I not going to invest it. The tricks that you play become a lot more relevant when it comes to the irrevocable trust because of how it's taxed, when it's taxed, and all of those features. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pick up after the break. Stay tuned, I'll be back in just a few moments as we go to break. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. 
For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary no-obligation consultation. Welcome back to Financial Plan and Explain it. I'm your host, Mike Manager, Certified Financial Planner. We're going to pick up on the taxation of trusts. Once again, uh, the basic trusts are revocable and irrevocable trusts. And the taxation of a revocable trust is very similar to one's investment account, whereas an irrevocable trust is taxed on its own thing. And it also depends on whether the assets are retained or distributed. So what I'd like to show you on the next slide here is I've done presentations and uh, TV shows on the taxation and how income taxation works. And I would encourage you to check it out. What I have here is kind of shows the tax brackets. And on the right hand side is the tax brackets of a married couple, whereas on the left hand side are the tax brackets of an estate or an irrevocable trust. So let's look at the right side for just one moment. What you see here is that the first roughly 20,000, mind you, these are 2022 tax brackets. The first roughly $20,000 of taxable income is taxed at 10%, which is very low. And then the next 60, all the way up to 83,000 is taxed at 12%. And then you have to go all the way up to $340,000 of taxable income before you even jump into the next tax bracket of 32%. And you have to go all the way up over $647,000 before you hit the highest income tax bracket. Meanwhile, with a taxable, uh, with, an, uh, with a trust or an estate, you hit that 37% tax bracket after only $13,450. Okay, now that's big. So you think about it, it's like, holy smokes, it takes me personally over $600,000 of income before I hit the 37% tax bracket. Meanwhile, a trust hits it at 13,000. What a difference. So that lends itself to, if there is an irrevocable trust out there and that irrevocable trust has me listed as the beneficiary. Now, if I'm the beneficiary, I am not the trustee. And what'll happen a lot of times, although there are ways that you can do that, so I should probably pull that one back. But what happens here is whether or not the assets are retained in the trust. What do you mean by that, Mike? Okay, well, the irrevocable trust, usually with a beneficiary, can distribute the income from the trust. So let's talk about that for a moment. What happens here is if you had a million dollar trust and inside the trust it produced dividends, capital gains, you name it, 
once it reaches $13,000, if those assets are retained by the trust, in other words, they're not distributed, then what happens is the trust has to pay the higher tax bracket. Okay, it reaches the higher taxes much, much quicker than if it were distributed. If it's distributed to me, then what happens is all that income, and let's say, for instance, my trust, that million-dollar irrevocable trust, has $30,000 worth of income. If it's retained, it gets taxed at the tax brackets and gets the 37% really quickly. Meanwhile, if I had those income distributed to me, then it behaves much like it was a regular investment account. So at that point, then if I had $30,000 worth of income, that income gets taxed on my personal tax return. And if my personal tax return has, call it $100,000 worth of income, then it's going to get taxed at like 22%, not 37%. So that is a very, very important component of understanding whether you distribute the assets in a trust or whether you retain the assets in a trust. Because, gosh, you know what? I hate like heck to be paying 37% tax on those assets. You know, so if I could take those assets, distribute them to me, then I could pay a much lower tax on those assets if they were distributed to me. So that raises the next question of, like, why in the world would I want to retain assets inside a trust? Well, there could be a handful of reasons. One of the reasons could very simply be um, the assets inside an irrevocable trust provide creditor protection. Well, what does that mean? That means if I do something stupid and get sued, they can't come up to those assets inside the trust. Similarly, when they're put into a trust, they create a generation skipping tax, or can, which means that upon my death, those assets are transferred to my next generation and they avoid estate tax. So that is another reason why I would want to keep those assets inside the trust rather than distributing to me myself, okay? And then the beneficiary may not want the income. Well, why wouldn't the beneficiary want the income? There may be two reasons. There may be reasons for the person who put the money into the trust doesn't want the beneficiary to have income because they may be incarcerated, they may have problems, drug problems, or they may actually be held in a special needs trust. What's a special needs trust? If for some reason you have a special needs child, oftentimes if they're a ward of the state where they're under Medicaid, basically saying Medicaid is the medical sort of program for people who are broke. Basically, it's the welfare program for medical assistance. If that person is receiving a lot of income, then they don't qualify for the Medicaid. So think about that for a moment. If I have a disabled child who is receiving full benefits from the state and is literally in the equivalent of a long-term care program, 
that's probably to the tune of $10,000 a month, wouldn't it be silly for a trust to distribute $30,000 worth of income to the beneficiary, and now the beneficiary doesn't qualify for the state benefits, okay? That doesn't make sense. So that is one good reason not to. And as I pointed out, there are a lot of different reasons going back to, I wanna maintain, um, I wanna maintain the generation skipping tax, meaning that if that $30,000 of income was distributed to me as the beneficiary and not maintained in the trust, then what happens is that that $30,000 becomes part of my estate. And when it becomes part of my estate, then it is subject to estate tax when I die. Whereas generation skipping tax suggests that if the money is retained by that trust, when I die, then it passes on to the next generation and there's no estate tax on it. So that is also a very important point to take into consideration because if my estate is large, then distributing those assets to me, not only am I paying taxes on it, which may be at a lower rate, but if my estate is large and going to be subject to a state tax, then now all of a sudden I'm in a position where those uh, assets are subject to a 40% estate tax. Well, that's silly. I would rather pay an income tax in the trust than pay the income tax myself and an extra 40% estate tax that would be assessed to my estate. In fact, depending on the state that you live in, there may be 40% for the Fed and an additional in Pennsylvania, it's 4.5%. Some states have an estate tax, others don't. But God, it could turn out that almost half of those assets find their way to the government as opposed to finding their way to the intended beneficiaries. And I'm sorry, but when it comes to me, I prefer that the, that the government isn't one of the beneficiaries of my estate or an estate where I'm the beneficiary of. Fact of the matter is, is that you know, this is an estate planning tool that, that wants or needs to be taken into consideration when determining, which then leads itself into, if you're going to retain assets inside the trust, then you need to think about how you invest those assets. So for instance, we use that million dollar trust again. If that million dollar trust is going to be hitting the 37% um, tax bracket after only 13,000, then I need to be thinking about, or the trustee, or the person who's managing the assets within that trust needs to really be thinking about how they're investing assets in that trust. For instance, if they were investing in ordinary bonds, then what would happen is those bonds would be taxed as ordinary income to the trust. Conversely, if they were invested in municipal bonds, which are tax-free, then the trust won't be paying taxes on those assets, which means that they're gonna avoid the 37% taxation. Similarly, if you have stocks, then the dividends on those stocks are going to be taxed at a lower rate, which then lends itself to, again, proper investing within the trust. So 
that wraps it up for this episode. And it almost looks like I was able to accomplish this all in one episode, which really surprises me. So instead of this being two episodes, we're able to accomplish this in one. Um, I'm just about wrapped up. I can't see myself making two episodes out of this. So when it comes taxation, when it comes time that you're going to be establishing a revocable or irrevocable trust, then what you really need to be thinking about is discussing with your estate attorney, with your uh, tax consultant, and your financial advisor to be sure that you're taking all of these things into consideration. Similarly, if you have assets that are already in a revocable or irrevocable trust, then you should be taking great care in ensuring that the assets are invested in a proper way. And then also recognizing whether or not they get a step up in cost basis or they do not get a step up in cost basis, that also has an impact on whether or not and how you invest in the trust. Because I have actually had irrevocable trusts that are treated for taxation like a revocable trust, that they're taxed to the grantor, which means they get a step up in cost basis at death. And we've had assets that had a huge capital gain that we intentionally did not sell because once the grantor of that trust passed away, we got a step up in basis, which meant washing our hands of any capital gains. So once again, the moral of this story is understanding when you're doing any type of estate planning and any type of investment planning, understanding tax planning, the tax impacts and tax planning strategies as to how trusts are taxed. So. Thank you very much for joining me on this. Uh, turns out to be one episode instead of two. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Reach out to your financial advisor. Reach out to your accountant, uh, state attorney, you name it. But be sure that you address this before you do any type of trusts. So once again, uh, thank you for joining me for this very important episode on the difference of taxation of different trusts. I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you very much for joining Mike Manager Certified Financial Planner for Financial Planning Explained. Thank you very much.